Welcome to the Northwood Baptist Church podcast. I'm Tommy Metter, lead pastor at Northwood right here in North Charleston, South Carolina. And I am so thankful that you are taking the time today to listen to this message. And I do hope and pray that what you are about to hear encourages you, blesses you, helps you to understand the word of God better, and most importantly, reminds you of how much the God of all creation loves you. I think today's message is going to be a blessing to you. So thank you for listening. And if you're in the North Charleston area, we would love to have you on our campus any Sunday morning at either 9.30 or 11 o'clock. If you're not in the North Charleston area, you can always find us on the web, northwoodbaptist.com. You can visit our YouTube page. You can visit our Facebook page. You can live stream us every Sunday morning at 9.30 or 11. We would love for you to be our guest, either on campus or online. So you're welcome to join us anytime you'd like. We'd love to have you. I do hope that today's message is a blessing and encouragement to you. And I hope that today's message helps you connect faith to life. I invite you to take your Bibles and uh, open back up to the Gospel of Luke as we continue our journey chapter by chapter, verse by verse, through this wonderful book of the Bible. It really does just help us to once again see Jesus for who he is and, and how Jesus wants us to respond to him. It's, it's great to study the Gospels. I, I love studying all of the Bible, but may I really enjoy it when we have the opportunity to be in a Gospel and just to, to retrace the ministry of Jesus. This is, this is really, really good. So when we're in a great passage this morning. Luke chapter 5 is where we're spending our time together this morning. Luke 5 verses 1 through 11. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and find that with me. Luke 5, 1 through 11. If you're new to the Bible, uh, the good news is Luke is not too difficult to find. Find your New Testament in your Bible. Find the first gospel, Matthew. Matthew, Mark, Luke. Luke is the third gospel in the New Testament. If you didn't happen to bring a Bible with you, that's okay because in the seat before you, down in the book rack of that seat, you should find a copy of the Bible. Pick that Bible up and find Luke chapter 5 with us. If you don't own a Bible, take that Bible home with you and read it and learn about the God that loves you and desires a relationship with you. Luke 5, 1 through 11 is where we're spending our time together this morning. Um, so many of you know, because uh, I've told you before, I, I like to run. I, I, now, not right now, I don't like to run because it's cold and wet, but when it's a little bit warmer and, you know, the sun is shining, I enjoy running several times a week. And oftentimes when I go running, I'll run four, five, six, seven miles. It just depends on the day, how I feel, all those kinds of things. And a lot of you know that um, I've run a lot of half, half marathons over the year. And it's been, it's been good for me to be a runner. I started running years ago and it, I, I think it helps me to stay in pretty good shape. I I, I like the, the, get the adrenaline flowing. I mean, I just really enjoy it. And, and lots of times when I run, I'll, you know, have some worship music playing while I run. And it's a good time just to, to pray. Sometimes I'll run with no music on at all and just, just think and pray and process and ask God questions and all those kinds of things. And so, so it really has been helpful for me in a lot of different ways. There's a, a guy in New York I read about this past week. He, he enjoys running as well. But uh, can you imagine running in New York City, especially this time of year? And I don't think I'd want to do that. And he doesn't either. And so this gentleman who likes to run, he, instead of going outside in New York City and, and running around the busy streets of New York City, he, in his high-rise apartment building, goes down to one of the floors where there is a, a, an exercise room and there's four or five treadmills. And he gets on one of those treadmills every single morning and he runs. 
Now, when I run, you know, I run four or five miles at a time usually, maybe a little bit more, maybe a little bit less. And, and so for me to run four or five miles, it, it doesn't take too long. I mean, five miles I can usually run in, 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 you know, 40 minutes or so, and four miles, 32 minutes, eight-mile pace. But at any rate, that's enough for that. So, but, but when I run, though, it doesn't take me a very long time. I go and do it, and in under 45 minutes, I'm done. For this guy, when he gets up and he goes on that treadmill to run, he runs on that treadmill every single day for four hours. Can you imagine? And so, so people in his apartment building are talking about him. I mean, and you would too. Like, what's that dude doing running for four hours? And they're afraid that he's going to take up all the treadmill time. Uh, if you can do that, I didn't know it was possible. But so, so anyway, he was upset about it. And he got on one of those social media sites and started asking people, am I wrong to run for four hours on a treadmill? And people were asking, maybe you're not wrong, but something's wrong with you, right? That kind of thing. And at and, and any rate, what happened, long story short, is that, that, that the apartment management decided to limit him to 45 minutes a day. He can't run four hours anymore, only 45 minutes a day. When he was asked why, why he ran for four hours every single day, here was the response he gave. And it wasn't about his health, and I'm sure that was part of the reason why he ran every day. Every day. But the, the major reason why he did this four hours a day every single day, because it gave him time to think and make sense out of life. Well, there you go. You could probably think of some better ways to make sense out of life than running for four hours every day. But for him, that's what he did. But that just goes to show you that that's what everybody in this world is trying to do. Everybody is trying to make sense out of life. Why is life the way that it is? Why is it hard? Why is it challenging? Why does this happen? Why does that happen? We're all in in one way or another trying to make sense out of life. And can I just tell you now, as a, as a 44-year-old middle-aged man, what I've discovered is uh, Jesus makes sense out of life. And following Jesus makes sense out of life. There's something about following Jesus that puts the rest of life in perspective. There's something about following Jesus that gives you purpose and significance in this life. And I I know when I tell you that, I I didn't tell you anything earth shattering. Many of you in this room, you found that to be true as well. But I do wanna ask you this question this morning. Are you following Jesus well? I love the story we're looking at this morning because the story we're looking at this morning is Jesus calling his first disciples. Up to this point in Luke's gospel, Jesus has been preaching quite a bit and Jesus has been performing miracles. And now he's going to call 12 men to himself to follow him as his disciples, his apostles. This is fascinating. And so you have the first few of those called in this passage of scripture this morning. And I know you know this, that that when you think about Jesus's life, Jesus came, now this is so good. Jesus came to die alone. Jesus and Jesus alone took the penalty for our sins on the cross. And Jesus alone rose from the dead. But while Jesus came to die alone and to rise again alone, Jesus did not come to do ministry alone. You follow? He's invited us to follow him and to join him in in his mission. And what you see as you work through the gospels are all these stories that we're gonna get to about Jesus and his disciples. And it's encouraging because you know the kind of men he he selected uh, to to minister with him. Ordinary men just like me and you. 
Uh, you know, they had their hangups and their problems and all those kinds of things. So it's encouraging to read their stories, right? It's also encouraging to read that they actually join him on that mission. And so as we read through these stories in the gospel uh, about Jesus and his disciples, what we're gonna see are some characteristics, what it actually looks like to follow Jesus. Now, there's lots of characteristics of followers, or followers of Jesus, but in this story in particular, in Luke chapter five, I think what Luke is showing us are, are two characteristics Two characteristics that should characterize every follower of Jesus. This is really good. Take your Bibles and look at Luke chapter five with me. You know, have that passage, go ahead and rise to your feet as we honor the ring of God's word together. Luke chapter five, verses one through 11. That's what the Bible says. As the crowd was pressing in on Jesus to hear God's word, he was standing by Lake Genereset. He saw two boats at the edge of the lake. The fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, which belonged to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from the land. Then he sat down and was teaching the crowds from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Master, Simon replied, we've worked hard all night long and caught nothing, but if you say so, I'll let down the nets. When they did this, they caught a great number of fish and their nets began to tear. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. They came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. And when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus's knees and said, go away from me because I'm a sinful man, Lord. For he, had, he and all those with him were amazed at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, Zebedee's sons, who were Simon's partners. Don't be afraid, Jesus told him, told Simon. From now on, you'll be catching people. Then they brought the boats to land, left everything, and followed him. Father, what an invitation that you gave to Simon. And what an invitation you give to us to follow you to follow you, to live for you, to be a part of your mission. What an invitation. And Jesus, we want to follow you well because you're worth following. You are the one who lived and died and rose again for us. You are worth following. You love us. You are worth following. You care for us. You are worth following. You invite us into your eternal kingdom to enjoy the riches of your glory. You are worth following. And so this morning, as we study your word, would you help us to learn how to follow you well? Would you help us right now to listen to what your spirit is saying to us and to respond to your voice in faith and obedience and to ask it in Jesus' name, amen. You can have a seat. So here we are. Beginning in Luke 5, we've made it through four chapters. And what we have seen thus far is Jesus does a lot of preaching. Uh, sharing the good news of the kingdom, that God's kingdom has come. Jesus does a lot of preaching. And not only does he do a lot of preaching, we saw last week that he is a miracle working savior. He cast out a demon. And Simon Peter's mother-in-law, he heals her from a fever. And so we're here in Luke 5, and Jesus has this encounter with Simon. This is obviously not the first time that Simon encounters Jesus. He's encountered him before. But this time's gonna be a little bit different. So you, you, you see the scene, Jesus is here by the Sea of Galilee and he's preaching. 
And there's so many people that have gathered to hear him preach. And when I went to Israel for the first time years ago, I stood in, in the place that was overlooking uh, the Sea of Galilee and some of the hills. Actually, I brought the picture I wanted you to see. This picture I took at, at what was called the Church of the Beatitudes. And so uh, this is just the spot that commemorates uh, the, the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, Jesus probably didn't preach it exactly in this particular spot, but somewhere around here he did. And so this church commemorates the Sermon on the Mount. And so, so I remember standing here, taking this picture, looking out, and it's just beautiful, isn't it? You can see the mountains in the background. You can see the Sea of Galilee. And I can just vividly remember standing there and looking at this open field and in my mind, just visualizing what it must have looked like in the days of Jesus. When, when thousands of people gathered, and there Jesus was preaching. You, you can kind of see it in your mind's eye, the people that would have filled this space and, and how that, that area is, is shaped by the topography and, and how as Jesus spoke in kind of what was a bowl, right? Uh, that, that his voice would be able to carry because of the way the, the terrain is in that area. And so, so Jesus speaks and they're able to hear. And it's, it's amazing because they're there hearing the words of Jesus. But, but you see what Luke says, it's kind of a dilemma. Uh, the crowd is so big that, that, that Jesus, Jesus has to put out into the water, that he needs a floating pulpit, if you will, so that people can see him and hear him better. What's interesting is you have all these people who are there wanting to hear everything Jesus says, and then you have someone, now let's be honest, who's not really all that interested. Simon, you know how I know he's not all that interested? Because he's busy. He's busy washing his nets. And I can imagine the text doesn't tell us all this, but I, I can just kind of imagine that this is probably what took place, that, that Simon Peter is obviously frustrated. He's a fisherman. And for all night, he and his partners have been out on that Sea of Galilee, the time when you were supposed to fish, and all night long, uh, they caught nothing. And so the frustration, because some of you, you fish, and you, you know what it's like to spend a day on the, on the river or a, a day on the pond, and, and you catch nothing. Uh, Luke wanted to go out last night, and it was cold, and, and I kind of knew we weren't going to catch anything. It's so cold, but he still wants to be out there just because he wants to be in nature and all those kind of things, and we caught nothing. And it's no fun to go fishing and catch nothing. It's, if, if it's your hobby, it's no fun. But if it's your career, it's frustrating. Because if you don't catch fish, you don't eat. You can't provide for your family. So Simon Peter, he's there. He's frustrated. Jesus is preaching and, and Simon Peter is there washing the nets. And, and again, the Bible doesn't tell us all these things, but I can imagine that Simon Peter just wants to go home because you've been there. You've been there a, a frustrating day at work where it doesn't seem like you've accomplished what you wanted to accomplish or nothing goes way, your way on your job and you just wanna go home and forget about the day. And, and let's just be honest. When life is frustrating, when your day is frustrating, when your job is frustrating, when your family is frustrating, when life is frustrating, you know what it's hard to do? It's really hard to listen to Jesus. Because that's the furthest thing from your mind. When you're frustrated, what are you thinking about? Your frustrations. And I can just imagine that Simon Peter here on the shores of the Sea of Galilee after a night of, of fruitless fishing is frustrated. And then Jesus gets into his boat. Simon Peter, will you push me out a bit so I can, I can preach? 
And Simon Peter gets in the boat with him. The text doesn't tell us why. I mean, you would think that maybe Simon Peter would have objected. Uh, Jesus, I've been fishing all night. I'm just ready to go home. Uh, Why don't you get somebody else to help you out? I just want to go home. But he doesn't. Simon Peter actually gets in the boat with Jesus and pushes out. And, and, And maybe, again, the text doesn't tell us, but maybe Simon Peter just felt like he owed Jesus something. Because after all, Jesus, not too long before, had healed his mother-in-law. And so maybe he felt obligated to help Jesus out this time. So he gets in the boat with Jesus. And he pushes out. And I don't know how long it was. Maybe it was an hour. Maybe it was two hours. Jesus preaches. He continues to minister to the crowd. Maybe Simon was listening to every word. Maybe Simon was nodding off. I have no idea. But he was in the boat with Jesus. And after, after Jesus had preached for a while and the crowds dispersed, it's Simon and it's Jesus in the boat. And you know the story probably, but it's so interesting in it. You come to to verse four and look at what it says. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Simon, put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Master, Simon replied, You can hear the frustration in his voice, can't you? We've worked hard all night long and caught nothing. Master. Now, it makes sense that that Simon Peter would call Jesus master because in in those days, if if you were a rabbi or a teacher, that was was a title. You called your rabbi, you called your teacher master. It was a a term of respect. And, And so he says, master. But here's what Simon Peter knows about Jesus. And here's what you know too. That while Jesus is a rabbi and maybe even a really good carpenter, Jesus is not a professional fisherman. Jesus doesn't spend his evenings on the Sea of Galilee as his vocation catching fish. Simon does. And so again, you hear the frustration. Jesus, we've done this. We've tried this. We weren't successful. I mean, I kind of do this every day. But then, and I love this phrase. Look at what it says. You come down at the end of verse five and and Simon says to Jesus, but if you say so, I'll let down the nets. Now underline that statement. But if you say so, I'll let down the nets. Because that statement, I watched this and I, 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 I don't know how much in this moment uh, Simon Peter had been listening to Jesus. I don't know what he understood, but here's what I do know. And I don't know if this was big or small, but whether it was big or small in this moment, it is a step of faith. But if you say so, Jesus, you don't know anything about fishing, but if you say so, I'll do it. And can I just tell you that oftentimes in life, Even when life is frustrating, even when life doesn't make sense, even when you can't figure it out, that is the best response you can give to Jesus. But if you say so. You see, the problem for many of us in our walk with the Lord is is we've forgotten how to say, but if you say so. We say other things like, like, God, I'll, I'll do it when I get around to it. Or God, I'll think about doing what you say to do. But just that simple faith response. But if you say so. And oftentimes in life, right, that is the best answer you can give to your Lord. If you say so, I'll do it. In fact, I would say, right, this is so good. Now it makes you understand this, that, that this is a defining characteristic 
of a disciple of Jesus Christ. A defining characteristic of a follower of Jesus is that a follower of Jesus lives by faith in real life. Notice, notice, now come on, notice where they are. Jesus is not speaking to Simon Peter where? In a church. Jesus is not speaking to Simon Peter in a temple. Jesus is speaking to Simon Peter where? In real life. In the midst of a frustrating situation, he speaks and says, Simon Peter, do it in real life. You see, Jesus speaks to you here in a place of worship, obviously, but he's also speaking to you in real life when you're on your job. And there's that temptation to get involved in the gossip that takes place in the office. Jesus has told you, don't get involved in that. Are you gonna live by faith in that moment? In your marriage, right? When your spouse is just going on and on and on about something and you just wish your spouse would shut their mouth for just a minute and and on the tip of your tongue, you're ready to say something in response to whatever your spouse is saying and it's not gonna be good. You're gonna say something that is harsh. Jesus has told you, shut your mouth, right? Give grace. Or it's that person that person who has hurt you over and over and over again. And more than anything, you just want to get even. You want a little bit of revenge. And in that moment, you know what God has told you to do in real life. You know that God has called you to what? To forgive. You see what I'm saying? This is why we talk in this church a lot about connecting faith to life. Because we understand it, that that faith is far more than you just showing up here on a Sunday morning. No, real faith demonstrates itself in everyday life, in the little decisions that you make, in the stances that you take, in the way that you treat other people, in the way that you show love and grace and mercy, in the, in the realness of everyday life, right? Followers of Jesus manifest faith and do what God says, even when it's hard and it doesn't make sense. Do you follow me? I was um, a couple months ago, I was here at the office and I wanted my, um, my Coke Zero break. And so I got in my, my car and I went to the Circle K because I got, I got the sip and save there. And, and I went to the Circle K and got my, my 44 ounces of Coke Zero. And so I, I got my Coke Zero, got back in my car and I was making my way back to the office and I was coming down Antler. And in the rearview mirror, I saw that sight that some of you have seen before, the blue lights. I haven't been pulled over a whole lot in my life. I would say probably five, six, seven, 20 times. I don't know. But, 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 but here's what my, um, but what, and maybe you were taught the same thing. What I was taught growing up is that if you get stopped by a police officer, be respectful as possible, right? Do what they tell you to do and just move on with life. And, and, and can I just tell you, that's never worked for me, right? Like, like it, that's never gotten me out of a ticket. I've done that. I've always been respectful, but, but, but every time I've gotten pulled over over the course of my life, I've gotten a ticket every time. And I've been respectful. I've, I've said, yes, sir, no, sir. Yes, ma'am, no, ma'am. I've given my license register. I've done all that stuff. I, I feel like I'm an outstanding citizen. And every time I get a ticket. And so when I saw the blue lights, I, 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 I thought to myself, this Coke Zero just cost me $200. 
And so the officer, he comes to the window and I, I'm trying to, you know, I'm, I'm doing exactly what I was taught, right? I'm being respectful and kind. And, and, and I, I didn't know how fast I was going, but if you turn the blue lights on, I must have been going fast and I was. I don't, I'm not gonna tell you how fast I was going, to be about 15 miles over. But anyway, so I, 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 um, I gave him my license. I gave him a registration. I gave him my, my, my state farm insurance card. And I said, yeah, you got me. I, I did it. I'm, I'm sorry, officer. I, I just wasn't thinking. And I, and I was just as nice as I could be. And, and, and then he went to his car and he was there for a long time, which that's never a good sign. And so finally, after he comes back and what felt like hours and, and he gives me a piece of paper. You know what it was? A warning. <laughs> Praise the Lord. I got a warning, right? And I mean, my, my, my face lit up and, 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 and I kid you not, I kid you not. This is, to me, this was funny. I don't know if it'd be funny to you or not, but this is what he said to me. This is what he said to me. He said, he said be careful. And he said, I'm just thankful that you actually pulled over. So apparently right here in North Charleston, a lot of you don't pull over when you see those blue lights. You just keep on going. And so this officer was just actually thankful that somebody pulled over when he turned on his blue lights. I said, well, next time you turn your blue lights, I'll pull over again. No big deal, right? (laughs) But I'll tell you all that to tell you this. In the past, it's never worked for me. Every time in the past that I have done the right thing, I've gotten a ticket, but not this time. But see, this is the way that, that I'm programmed. And you're, pro- come, on, come on, this is what I want you to hear. This is the way that we're kind of programmed, aren't we? If I do the right thing, then in the moment, I better get the right thing. If I do the right thing, then I better get a result right now. Some of you have watched on late night TV way too many TV preachers who tell you things like this. If you give this way, God is obligated to give to you in this way. Or if you do this, then God will do this for you right now. And so we we're, we're accustomed to thinking that what faith is, is I'll do something for God. And if I do something for God, then God is obligated to do something for me in return. Now, you follow? Now in this story, Jesus is going to do something for Peter in the immediate. But listen, Jesus has something greater in mind for Peter than just giving him fish in this moment. What Jesus is going to do is going to take Peter's life and over the course of his lifetime, shape it. You see, now watch this. We walk by faith in the hard things in life. You forgive, even if in that moment you forgive, that person doesn't respond in the way that you want him or her to. You still do it. You keep your mouth shut at work and you don't gossip even if there doesn't seem to be an immediate benefit to that, you do it, right? At home, you treat your spouse with kindness and consideration and unconditional love, even if it's not returned, right? Why? Because you know that in those moments, while you might not get exactly what you want in that moment as you walk by faith, you know that over the course of your life that God is doing something. He's shaping you. We don't walk by faith because we're simply trying to get something out of God. We walk by faith because we wanna honor the one who loves us and because we know that over the course of our lives, God is doing in us a sanctifying work. Do not forget that, that, that a characteristic of a follower of Jesus Christ is the follower of Jesus acts in faith in the little things in real life, in the everyday. Not just coming here on Sunday morning and putting on a face, but every day in the little things, making choices to honor the Lord by saying, Lord, if you say so, 
I will do it. So let me just help you with this, right? So, so this first characteristic, followers of Jesus walk by faith in real life. So, so I think if you were to ask yourselves these three questions, it would help you determine if you are walking by faith in real life. One, am I trusting Jesus or something else? Because there's something about real life isn't there? There's something about real life. There's something about being in the, in the heat of the moment in a marriage, or there's something about being around the water cooler at work when people are gossiping. There's something about being in that class where you can't stand that professor. There's something about being in real life that reveals who you actually trust. And your responses in real life say a lot about where you're putting your faith. And so what is real life? What do those frustrating circumstances say about your faith in Jesus Christ? That you're trusting him or trusting yourself? Trusting your finances? Trusting your bad feelings? You see what I'm saying? Am I trusting Jesus or something else? Am I more concerned with my agenda or God's agenda? Because come on. Real life reveals whose agenda you're really after. In real life, are you after God's kingdom advancing or are you after what? Your own comfort. Or think about this. Am I focused on the moment or the goal? Because in real life, you are. You have a tendency. I have a tendency in the moment to want my way now. But that's not God's goal for me. God's goal for me is not to give me my way now. God's goal is to make me like Christ over the course of my life. You see what I'm saying? And so as you grow as a follower of Jesus, you begin to understand these things. A follower of Jesus understands that faith is lived out in real life because Jesus comes to us and reveals himself to us and speaks to us through his word in real life situations. But we're not done. Look at what happens. This is so good. You know the story. Master, we've worked all hard, all night long and caught nothing. But if you say so, I'll let down the nets. When they did this, verse six, they caught a great number of fish and their nets began to tear. So they signaled to their partners in, other, in the other boat to come and help them. They came and filled both boats so full, they began to sink. I mean, just for a moment, let your mind's eye try to imagine this scenario. I mean, I'm just hoping and praying that when we get to heaven, that God's gonna take us into the DVR room. We're gonna play this back. We're gonna get to see it because this is an astounding moment. All night long, he's caught nothing. But now in an instant, he pulls up so many fish, so many fish that he can't even get them in his boat. He has to call for one of his partners to come out with the other boat and they fill both boats with the fish. I don't know how many it was. Maybe it was hundreds, maybe it was thousands. Who knows? But, but certainly it was enough to provide for their needs and they can make a lot of money off of these fish. And, 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 and notice what happens. When this amazing miracle happens, notice what Peter does not do. He doesn't pat Jesus on the back. He's like, man, Jesus, that was pretty cool. I don't know how you did that. Man, that was, that was neat. I mean, you, 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 you healed my mother-in-law, but this one kind of tops that, right? I mean, healing a fever versus bringing up a lot of fish. I mean, you, you know which one's the, the bigger miracle, right? And, but look what he says. You come down. When Simon Peter, verse eight, saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, go away from me because I'm a sinful man, Lord. For he and all those with him were amazed at the catch of fish they had taken. Just a couple of verses earlier, Peter said to Jesus, what, master? You say so. Not expecting what would happen. Then it happens. Then Jesus stands there and Peter falls to the knees of Jesus and says what? 
go away. Go away. He doesn't say to Jesus, stick around. He doesn't say to Jesus, I'm glad you're here. He doesn't say to Jesus, this was really cool and amazing. Instead, he says, go away. Because in that moment, Simon Peter sees Jesus in this moment for who he is. Now, it's going to take Simon Peter a lifetime to figure out the full implications of who Christ is. But in that moment, he sees Jesus as more than a miracle worker. He sees Jesus as God who has come because who else other than God has authority over nature? Who else other than God can call out fish from the sea and bring them into the boat? And so he sees Jesus for who he is. And he also says he sees himself for who he is. Depart from me, I am a sinful man. It's much like Isaiah chapter six. I don't know if you remember that story or not, but in Isaiah chapter six, when Isaiah has this vision of God in the temple, and when Isaiah sees the, the, the robe of God filling the temple and he sees the seraphim, he cries out, right? Woe is me, I'm sinful. And in this moment, Simon Peter says the same thing or sees the same thing and says, go away. But notice what doesn't happen. Jesus doesn't go away. Isn't that good? Jesus doesn't flee us. He comes to us in our sin. Jesus came to rescue Simon Peter. Jesus came to save Simon Peter. And in this moment, Simon Peter sees his unworthiness, but his unworthiness doesn't cause Jesus to go away from him. Instead, what Jesus is going to do is Jesus is going to give him a mission. Oh, so good. Simon, you've been catching fish all your life. Now, the priority's gonna change. I'm gonna make you into a fisher of men. From now on, you're going to be catching people. You know what? That's what happens. It's amazing. They go back to the shore and, and what the text tells us is that Simon Peter and, and James and John, the sons of Zebedee, they leave their nets, they leave their boats and they follow Jesus. Now, they would fish again. In fact, when you get to the end of John's gospel, we find Simon Peter fishing again. But, but in that moment, what does change is their priorities. No longer are their life's priorities fishing. Their life's priority is to follow this man, Jesus, and to do what he says. And just notice what, what again, Simon Peter does not say. And this is interesting to me. This is an amazing miracle that takes place. And what Simon Peter does not say to Jesus is, hey, Jesus, I got a better idea. I mean, we could call this the Jesus Fishing Company, right? And, 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 and we could like catch lots of fish and, and you can make us rich. Why don't we do that? Why don't we make this the Jesus Fishing Company and we'll literally own the Sea of Galilee. Why don't we do that? And let's be honest. It's kind of how a lot of us respond to Jesus maybe not the Jesus Fishing Company, but we, in our minds, and you might not say this consciously, but maybe subconsciously you think this, right? Hey, Jesus, I got an idea for you. Hey, Jesus, you wanna talk about mission, Jesus? I've got a mission for you, Jesus. Hey, Jesus, I, I've got a plan for your life, Jesus. If you would just help me here, if you would do this for me, if you would give me some, some direction over here, if you would bless me in this way, Jesus, I got a plan for you. And that's how many of us approach the Christian faith, isn't it? Hey, Jesus, I got a plan. I got some ideas for you. Jesus, I have a mission for you. 
But, but, but here's the deal, right? When you see Jesus like Peter does, when you see Jesus for who he is, and when you see yourself for who you are, what you begin to understand is what? You're not the one calling the shots. You're not the one defining the mission. I'm not the one defining the mission. Jesus defines the mission and the mission of Jesus. We've already seen it in Luke's gospel. The mission of Jesus is what? To save people, to save you. And he's called you and me to join him on that mission. And what that means for us is that it does take a reorientation of all of our priorities. So I want you to see this characteristic. Followers of Jesus, right? They live out their faith in real life and followers of Jesus live for what's best for God's kingdom. What's best for God's kingdom is always you living on the mission of Jesus Christ. Whatever that looks like in your life, what's best for God's kingdom is you living your life in such a way that in everything you do, you bring honor and glory to him for the sake of his his glory. You see what I'm saying? That's what's best for God's kingdom. Now, so, so what that means is I'll only live, now watch, I'll only live for what's best for God's kingdom when I come to the end of myself. And that's what happens in the story. That, that in this moment, Peter comes to the end of himself. Coming to the end of yourself means that you see yourself for who you are. That you see that you're not calling the shots. That you see that you're not in charge. That you see that it's not about your mission. And for many of us, that's what has not happened in our lives. We have not come to the end of ourselves where we'll look at Jesus and say, it's about your kingdom, not my own kingdom. Or think about this. I only live for what's best when I constantly evaluate the priorities of my heart. Let me explain what I mean by that. We've all got priorities. We've all got goals. You've probably set some for this year. Now watch. A lot of the priorities that we have are priorities that we set in place for what? To make our lives better. Now, come on, come on, come on. Be honest with me. Because for most of us in an American culture, that is the mission. Come on. An American culture that that tells us, get whatever you can out of this life, have it all now. That's the mission, to make our lives better. Right education, right house, right car, right job, right spouse, right kids. And we go on this mission in life just to make life better. But how many of us, right, set our goals in this way? It's not about making my life better. I want to live for the best for God's kingdom. And so therefore, over the next year, what do I need to sacrifice? How much can I give up for the kingdom of God? Over the next year, how many people can I share the gospel with? Over the next year, how can I grow in my character and be more like Jesus? So those are the questions we don't ask a lot, but we do ask a lot, how can I make my life better? How can I have it a little bit easier? How can I get more stuff? You see what I'm saying? And so, so following Jesus, it is this constant evaluation of the priorities of the heart. What am I really after? You see what I'm saying? Following Jesus, right, is understanding that God's kingdom, that's really what I'm pursuing. And the best life is that life that pursues his kingdom. Or think about this. I only live for what's best when my eyes are on eternity. The reason why we're constantly trying to follow this mission of making our lives better is because our eyes aren't on eternity. Colossians 3, Paul tells us to set our minds on things above because a lot of the things that we pursue in this life, they are not going to last. 
But what is eternal obviously does last. And so, so the more I set my heart on eternity, the more that I understand that the way that I invest in my kids or the way I invest in my marriage or the way I invest in other people for the sake of the gospel has eternal implications, the more that I will begin to align myself with God's best living for his will. Do you follow any of this? Here's what I want you to think about as we begin to end our time together. Here's the question, and I've talked about this before, but I want this to resonate with you. Here's the question that we oftentimes ask. What's best for me? What's best for me and my family? Whether you're doing it consciously or subconsciously, you are oftentimes asking that question. What's best for me? What's best for my family? And that's what you go after. What's best for me? What's best for my family? And the question that we often don't ask and the question that I need to get in the habit of asking and the question that you need to get in the habit of asking, now watch, come on in real close. The question we need to get in the habit of asking is what's best for God's kingdom. Now I'll tell you why we need to ask that. Because when you begin to ask the question on a regular basis, what's best for God's kingdom, you will find out what's best for you and your family. You see, you lead with the wrong question. You lead with the question, what's best for me and my family? Instead, let's begin leading with the question, what's best for God's kingdom? What if you were to ask that question when you get up tomorrow morning? Today, as I live before God, what's best for his kingdom? As I go to work today, what's best for his kingdom? As I'm with my kids today, what's best for his kingdom? As I'm out in public today, what's best for his kingdom? When you lead for that question, you will always find what's best for you because what's always best for you and always best for your family is living for the kingdom kingdom of God. You, does anybody follow me? This is where we are this morning. This is what you've got to figure out in your own life. If you're following Jesus, following Jesus is constantly asking the question, what's best for God's kingdom? Because that's what I want to live for. In real life, in the everyday moments of life, I want to live for what's best for God's kingdom. And in and, and, and the places that God has me, I want to live for what's best for God's kingdom, right? So for you this morning, what does it look like? to follow Jesus well. Because for some of us in this room, while we've been in church for a long time, we'd probably be quick to confess we're not following Jesus real well right now. That's why we put such a focus on discipleship groups and life connection groups because we wanna help you. We wanna help each other. I want you to help me follow Jesus well. And maybe as we end our time together this morning, right? For you as a follower of Jesus, It's just coming before the Lord and confessing, I've been struggling, I need help. Help me to follow Jesus well. Let us help you. Let us put you in a discipleship group. Let us put you in in a life connection group. Let us surround you with people that wanna help you learn how to follow Jesus well so that you will begin asking the question more often, what's best for God and his kingdom? What's interesting about Peter's story, and we're gonna take the whole gospel to see the story of Jesus and his disciples. What's interesting about Peter's story is here, there's a simple act of faith. Whatever you say, I'll do it. And then there's a failure of faith. Can you think of a bigger failure of faith than what would happen a couple years later when, when, when Jesus is crucified? At the crucifixion of Jesus, what does Peter do? Deny Jesus three times. And then, fast forward. At the end of John's gospel, do you know what Peter's doing? Fishing. It's the same thing as Luke 5. He can't catch any fish. 
And then Jesus comes, let down your nets again. And Peter pulls up a bunch of fish and it's a beautiful story of how in that moment that, that Peter, even though he denied Jesus three times, he's restored to Jesus. And Jesus says, I'm gonna use you. I told you, I told you, you'll be a fisher of men. That has not changed. Isn't that good? That there's grace in your mess ups. There's grace for my mess ups. And the, the mission of Jesus has not changed in your life. The mission of Jesus has not changed in this world. Jesus has come to save you. He's come to save people. And he's done so by what church? Going to a cross and dying for faithless people. The Bible says that while we were yet sinners, Romans chapter five, God demonstrated his love for us in this way that Christ died for us. While you were still in your sin, you didn't deserve it. You didn't earn it. The only thing you and I had earned was eternal death. But while we were yet in our sin, Jesus Christ went to a cross and died in our place and suffered the punishment for our sins that we deserve. And then rose from the dead three days later to save us, to save us from eternal hell and to give us the gift of eternal life with him, to give us a reason for living, to help us to make sense our life. And what makes sense is to give your life to Jesus and follow him by faith and learn to live for his kingdom and join him on his mission. Do you see? And this morning, if you're in this room and you've never placed your faith in the one who came to live and die and rise again for you, today's the day to give your life to Jesus, to turn from your sin and to turn to him by faith. In the corners of this room, there are two crosses. And today, uh, as we end our time together, there'll be people at those crosses ready to receive you, to pray with you and help you begin a relationship with Jesus. So if you've never placed your faith in Christ, please, as a time of invitation, go to one of those crosses and let that person help you and pray with you and help you begin a relationship with Jesus. Maybe you're here in this room this morning and you are a follower of Jesus. But if you look at your life over the last year, you haven't followed well. You've asked the wrong questions. What's best for me instead of what's best for God's kingdom? And maybe this morning is just a time of repentance, asking God to help us put our eyes back on Jesus and, and asking him to help us to learn how to follow him well because he's worth it. He's worth you following because of what he's done for you and what he's promised you. So as we have the time of invitation, you respond to his voice as he leads you. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for time and your word. Thank you, Jesus, that you've come for us to save us, to give us life eternal, to forgive us of our sins and to give us a reason for living. Father, for that person in this room this morning who's never placed his faith or her faith in Jesus, I pray that person would come trusting you as Lord. And Father, for those of us who are your followers, we're oftentimes like Peter. We've got our good moments, and a lot of moments were not so good. So Father, would you help us to put our eyes back on you this morning and the mission you've called us to, to be fishers of men, to live for your priorities and not our priorities, to ask the right question, what's best for your kingdom, instead of asking what's best for me, a self-centered question. Father, this morning, would you lead us just to a time of repentance, a, a time of, of restoring that desire to, to live as a committed follower of Christ. In these final moments, have your way, Jesus. We're gonna respond to you in obedience. In the name of Jesus, amen. You rise to your feet as we have time invitation together. You come now as the Spirit of God leads you this morning.